Hello and welcome back to Stop and Go F1 for this, the penultimate Grand Prix preview of the year for the Las Vegas Grand Prix. It's finally here. After years and years of hype, we've arrived at the Las Vegas Grand Prix. Before we get into everything today, please make sure you like, subscribe, all that good stuff. Of course, we're going to get into uh, news as well as Special Helmet Street and Upgrade Corner. We've got a lot of news to get through. We'll take a look at the practice sessions, well, sessions from this morning. We'll have a look at predictions as well. All of that and more to come in the... Uh, in the preview video here today. Uh, before we get into that though, it's like I say that last weekend we put out a video here on the channel about the Caesars Palace Grand Prix of 1981 and 1982. So if you're into your F1 history, there's a video out there on the channel after you've watched this one, of course. You can check that one out, uh, see what you think. I quite enjoyed it. It seemed like a lot of people enjoyed it too. So if you want to go and see that, that's available there for you. Right, into the preview video though, and as, as our new tradition here on Stop and Go F1 is we open up the preview with the trivia question of the week. Of course, put your answers in the comments section if you think you know the answer, and this time you have a 50-50 chance of getting it right because it's a true or false question, and actually very timely based around the... Uh, Braun GP documentary, which we shall talk about in a little bit. The question is, true or false, Jensen Button never finished on the podium at his home race. True or false there? That's the trivia question. Let me know what you think the answer is down below. But now, into the preview as a whole. And we're going to start this preview with a little thing I like to call Reasons to be Positive. Because I've seen a lot of negativity about around the Las Vegas Grand Prix. For whatever reason, I think some people just don't like tracks in America. Some people are questioning the track in general. And let me tell you right now, there are reasons to be negative. And I shall get into them later on in the video, because there's lots of things that have happened in the last few days that aren't great. And we will talk about them. Do not worry, we will address them. But I do think there is a lot of reasons to be positive as well and we'll get into them right now firstly just generally the unknown of the track brand new track we don't really know how it's going to work uh, weather wise is a massive unknown which i'm very excited about that's what excited me the most really we know it's going to be cold and the effect that's going to have on the tires heating up the tires obviously is massively important for grip heating up the brakes is also incredibly important otherwise they don't work in the conditions we have this weekend as cold as it is that's going to be incredibly difficult but that also lends itself differently to cars like the ferrari cars like the haas cars that all year have been burning their tires up throughout the entire race now it's nice and cold will those cars now go incredibly well where they've suffered all year that kind of question really excites me going into this weekend also reasons um, to be excited about this track in general. Very high speed track where overtaking looks like it's incredibly possible. There are massively overtaking areas within the track and I think that could lead to an incredible race. Also, there is no room for errors here. You know, you have the occasional runoff area and we saw in practice uh, too, a bit like uh, in Baku. There's occasional corners that you're allowed to mess up on. So you saw drivers go down into there. But if you make a slight error through most of this track, you're in a wall, which is always 
quite exciting and leads to the best drivers prevailing the best, which I also think can lead to another reason to be positive, chaos. Because I think that's what this weekend's going to be. Now, I understand for some people, they tune into F1 and chaos isn't their thing. They like good wheel-to-wheel -wheel racing, and don't we all? But sometimes, chaos can be fun. And I think we're going to have a lot of chaos this weekend. Finally, I've seen a lot of people just kind of upset and annoyed at the Americanness of this weekend. And I don't think that's a legitimate reason to be upset. Yes, you may be sitting at home thinking, I don't necessarily like this because I'm not American. But, you know, I think a wonderful thing about Formula One is that it travels the world and goes to all these different countries. And I think each race should embrace more and more culture of that location. And America really does that better than anywhere else. They really just kind of go over the top, bombastic, this is America, this is what we do. And I think other countries should embrace that. We should see that more from each track. Be more of like, look, this is our country, this is what we do. So I'm not going to put the American tracks down for being outwardly American, because that's what they do. So there are your reasons to be positive thus far. We'll get into some more negative news later on. But it is time for the news of the week, and the biggest possible news story of the year came out this week. That is, Valtteri Bottas has a nude calendar. It's We know now Valtteri Bottas, he loves a photo of his bum out. Now there's going to be 12 of them that you're going to be able to buy on a calendar for next year. It's available from Bottas.com, B-O-T-T-A-S-S.com. Proceeds will go to Movember, so it's a charity calendar of Valtteri Bottas's bum. And there's no bigger news than that. Fantastic stuff from Valtteri Bottas. <laughs> now, some news about some cars. Uh, Haas this weekend decided to split the cars. I believe this is Nico Hulkenberg's decision. Kevin Magnussen will be running the upgraded Haas that we've seen since Austin, whereas Nico Hulkenberg has returned to the old Haas that we saw from the start of the year. Um, now, this is very interesting here, because from what I saw since Austin... Generally, the pace of the Haas hasn't massively improved. It's about the same pace as it was before. But what had improved, I believed, was its tyre degradation. I think it saved the tyres a lot better than the original Haas did. But going back to what I said in my reasons to be positive, due to the tire temperatures being very low, a car that can heat its tyres up very quickly is beneficial this weekend. So I think Hulkenberg has made a decision here to go to the older car to try and gain an advantage from that. They said in commentary today, which something I found quite surprising, I hadn't really noticed, but Nico Hulkenberg hasn't scored points since Austin. So, not Austin, sorry, Austria. If he hadn't scored points since Austin, that'd be quite good. He hasn't scored points since Austria. So, you know... It's been a while for Hulkenberg to score points, and he sees this weekend as a big opportunity. This is a track that should favour them, especially with that car setting its tyres on fire. So Hulkenberg, I think, is one to watch this weekend. He'll be aiming for those uh, lower points positions. So we'll wait and see how he does there. Uh, looking towards next year, though, Alfa Romeo, they will become Sauber next year, um, losing the Alfa Romeo sponsorship just before they gain Audi sponsorship in 2026. 
they are going to have an entirely new concept of car for 2024. This is what's come out this year. Uh, they just decided that uh, the path that they've been going down just hasn't worked. So next year we'll see something entirely new from Alfa Romeo slash Sauber. So best of luck to them on that. It'll be an interesting one because I think um, Mercedes are doing the same thing as well, really. They are going to abandon what they've done. And as much as, you know... With Alfa Romeo, I understand it a bit more because they've got nowhere. They're just kind of at the back. They'll score points occasionally. So they've got a lot less to lose by going and starting something brand new. Mercedes, you know, they're up there. They're challenging for second in the constructors. So they have a lot to lose here. And by getting a new concept, really what you're doing is now putting yourself three years behind everyone else who has their concept and has evolved it over the years. So Alfa Romeo slash Sauber uh, better be pretty confident in their new concept or whatever it is uh, to bring them some, some success before they go across to Audi in 2026. And speaking of 2026, a team we may see on the grid then, or even before actually, could be coming in in 2025, is Andretti, the biggest talking point of F1 really this year. A team that isn't in F1, Andretti. But connected to that is General Motors, who also own Cadillac. Uh, they were the speculative engine supplier for Andretti when they joined the team. And this week, General Motors have announced its registration with the FIA to become a F1 power unit manufacturer from 2028 onwards. So uh, it's great that... Um, you know, they're getting this in place here for 2028. Uh, interestingly, Andretti Cadillac are hoping to join the grid in 2025. The rumour is that Renault have been signed up to supply them engines from 2025, I guess, up until 2027 before moving over to the Cadillac engine. Uh, it'll be an interesting one for them because, you know, Renault engines famously aren't very good and like to set themselves on fire. So I imagine maybe it was a cheaper deal for Andretti um, to get that one. Best of luck to him. I really hope this Andretti stuff comes through. I'm pretty faithful. I'm pretty fa faithful, is that the right word? Pretty confident, let's say. That's a better word to use. Pretty confident that the Andretti deal will come through and we'll probably see them on the grid from 2025. But yeah, this is big signs here that Andretti are taking this incredibly seriously, if we didn't already know that. And they're here for the long haul, 2028 onwards for Cadillac engines alongside Andretti. There was all the rumours a few months ago that, you know, with this whole thing of our Andretti coming in, our Andretti not coming in, that F1 kind of wanted General Motors, wanted Cadillac, but didn't want Andretti for whatever reason. But General Motors would come out and said, look, we're happy to join, but we are going to be supplying Andretti. If we're not supplying Andretti, we're not coming in. So... All of this points more and more and more to the big news that isn't big news, that Andretti will be on the grid in 2025. We're just waiting and waiting and waiting for that to finally be announced, whenever that may be, hopefully sooner rather than later. Uh, talking about something happening sooner rather than later, F1 Academy got some big news uh, this week for their new season next year, and that is that Leah Block will be joining the Williams Academy and will be joining the F1 Academy grid, joining the ART team for next year. She's the second driver announced for the F1 Academy this year. We had um, uh, the McLaren driver, Bianca, uh, can't remember her surname, but Bianca, 
oh, it was like Bussamante or something like that. I, sorry, I can't remember her name. But she was announced a few weeks ago. Leah Block is the new one here. Now, she uh, really just intrigues me here because um, she is the daughter of legendary driver Ken Block. Her racing history is mainly of rally driving. She did do a few rounds in Extreme E as well, but F1 Academy will be her first outing in open-wheel racing. So this is a big step for her here. She's the second female driver in the Williams Academy. Uh, so, yeah, lots of really interesting things here. Of course, all the F1 teams have to... Uh, kind of sponsor f1 academy drivers for next year so over the next coming weeks i imagine we'll hear a lot more names coming out here but yeah leah block very interesting one to watch for next year and of course we'll be covering all f1 academy stuff on the grid next year here on the stop and go f1 and i promise i'll try and remember their names because i always forget their names a few weeks ago i forgot the name of the person who is currently leading f2 which is bad of me and his name is Teo Porcher. More big news, though, everyone. Almost as big as the Bottas bum calendar is this news. Lewis Hamilton is in Fortnite. A new pack has come out for Lewis Hamilton in Fortnite. There's, the, uh, there's two playable characters. There's him, Lewis Hamilton. And then there's also some weird guy in armour, which doesn't look anything like Lewis Hamilton. But apparently it's also him. It doesn't go off any of his helmet design or anything like that. But apparently it is him. It comes with a backpack with Roscoe in it. There's an emote of him on a scooter. And he's got a kind of energy sword. You know, the famous Lewis Hamilton energy sword. So if you're into Fortnite, you like Formula One, you can now play as Lewis Hamilton. Or if you're into Fortnite and you don't like Lewis Hamilton, maybe someone else is going to be playing as him. And you can, like, I don't know, what do you do in Fortnite? You just kill each other. So I, if you want to kill Lewis Hamilton, you can play Fortnite. It's a weird one, isn't it, Fortnite now? Because they have everything. Everything's in Fortnite now. And some of it, you think, this this isn't real. This is a game for kids where you, you kill people. And now there's real-life celebrities in it, and you can shoot them. And that's, when you think about it, it's weird. So let's not think about it anymore. And think about something else. Because this week, the Braun GP documentary came out on Disney+. And my god, it is perfect. I binge-watched it all the other night. And there's four one-hour-long episodes. And they are absolutely perfect. You know, I've got a list of video ideas that I have for this channel. And for a while... Braun GP documentary has been on that list. This week, I took it off the list because the Braun GP documentary that they have made is so perfect that I can't do anything to even do be half as good as that, so I won't be touching it ever again. Uh, but yeah, if you haven't watched it yet, go check it out because it's fantastic. And the thing I really loved is it's not just the story of Braun, but there's stuff about the entire 2009 season in there, which I think is really important and really good. Uh, another thing, when people touch on the Braun story, the story they kind of tell is, yes, there was this team, uh, Honda, they had nothing, then they came and dominated. But that isn't true. That's not the story. They dominated the first half of the season, then they had no money and everyone else caught up. 
and the telling of that story towards the end of the season where they're not the most dominant car anymore that's almost as interesting if not more interesting as the start and i think this documentary did a fantastic job of telling that story also telling Rubens Barrichello's side of the story which often gets overlooked was really good like that a lot and um, also showing that Bernie Eccleston is a mop who wished upon a star to come to life got his dream wish come true and then chose to use his powers to be the most evil person on the planet that is shown very well in the Braun documentary Uh, I'm very glad Bernie Eccleston is no longer in charge of Formula One. Good to see him go. That's the news, everyone. News is done. Um, It is now time for Special Helmet Street. And on Special Helmet Street this week, we have to take a little detour into Special Livery Boulevard because there is a lot of them. In fact, it's easier to tell you which teams don't have a Special Livery. Aston Martin, Mercedes, Haas. Everyone else has a special livery this weekend. So if you're watching on YouTube rather than on uh, listening on a, a podcast supplier, you can have a look at your screen now. We'll have a look through some of these special liveries. Firstly, it is the Red Bull. This is their third and final of the fan design livery contest that they've done at the start of the year. They've done one for each of the US-based races this year. And I think this one's very nice. I like it a lot. Obviously, it's got the Las Vegas lights and the sign, uh, some playing cards there, poker chips. I mean, if you like playing cards and poker chips on helmets and cars, this week is the week for you because everyone's going for it. But yeah, this is good. I also quite like the PokerStars um, sponsorship gone into the wheels as well. That looks very nice as well. So overall, great stuff from Red Bull here this weekend. Now, I need to warn you about the next car. Because the next car, believe it or not, is an Alpine. But the livery they've gone for is so drastically different from anything else they've ever put out before, you may take a while to realise that it is an Alpine. Look at this. Wow! Look how different that car is to usual. They've really pushed the boat out this time of Alpine. Incredible stuff. If you didn't if you didn't know that's an Alpine, now you do. Really, really special stuff from Alpine. Their designers, they work them too hard. They really do. Let's move on to this. The Alpha Tauri, which this weekend has become a zebra. Uh, I'm not sure why, but I like it. It's a good look for the Alpha Tauri. Uh, good stuff overall. Uh, you know, the speed lines kind of come from here. It'll make them go a bit faster. But also, if there's any lions in the general area, they will become under attack as they confuse it for a zebra. This is the Williams, and it's the worst thing I've ever seen. Williams, for their special livery this weekend, said to themselves, Imagine... If someone vomited all over the back of our car, what would that look like? And they've created this. And I hate it. It's very bad. I don't like it on my screen. I don't like that the number's been pushed up. You can't tell if that is a 25 or a 23. It doesn't look good, and I hate it. I like this, though. This is the Ferrari. This is their special livery. It's not really based on anything uh, specific for this weekend, 
but it reminds me a lot of the Ferraris from the 2000s with that uh, Santander sponsorship. Of course, Santander are back with them now. The white and the red looks fantastic. I love the name here in kind of the uh, cursive writing. Big number in a circle. Always gets a thumbs up from me. White and red is beautiful. This is fantastic. Well done, Ferrari. Alfa Romeo, I've got their sponsorship, uh, sorry, their special livery this weekend. And it's just a load of car cards on the engine cover. They have the number six on them. I don't know why. Um, I don't think any of their drivers are number six, you know, because that was uh, Latifi and Rosberg. So neither of them drive for Alfa Romeo. If you know why it's the number six, let me know. But Alfa Romeo had a lot of different special liveries uh, this year. And I think this is one of their better ones. It's subtle, but effective. And also, a lot of the other rest of the car is black, which allows them to save a lot of weight, because it's just bare carbon fibre. Finally, here is the last special livery of the weekend, and it is the McLaren. Uh, they've gone for this Jack Daniels one. Uh, another big sponsorship for McLaren, so good for them. Uh, if you like a Jack Daniels livery next to the livery of some kind of weird chewing tobacco next to a warning label that says warning don't chew don't chew chewing tobacco you will get cancer this is the livery for you so there you go that is the McLaren <laughs> okay um so lots of special liveries this weekend some of them good some of them not as good but there is a lot of very good Special helmet. So back on the special helmet street. We start with this one from Esteban Ocon. Now we know he is a big Marvel fan. He's had lots of Marvel inspired helmets uh, throughout his career. But this one pays tribute to the character played by my close personal friend Ryan Reynolds. Uh, this is the Deadpool helmet. It looks very nice. There was a video of him and Ryan uh, when he unveiled it, and they both looked very happy and gave each other a hug. Lovely moment overall. Very nice helmet for Esteban Ocon. Uh, we move on, though, to uh, this one from Lance Stroll, which I like a lot. Uh, basically, it's his normal helmet, but he's embraced the more the neon of the neon city that is Las Vegas. So a neon look on the wings and the number and the Canadian flag. So this, this is actually a very simple helmet design, but very effective. Like it a lot. Big thumbs up from me to Lance Stroll there. Uh, moving to Checo Perez on his uh, helmet, and you know it's a bit basic here, and a lot of different drivers have basically gone for this, but in, within their own team's colours and with their own sponsors, it's just their normal helmet, but Las Vegas skyline, and I think he's got some dice and stuff on the top of the helmet, so yeah, not not too great from Checo, but he gave it a go. Yuki Tsunoda has done this; it's his normal helmet, but red and white. I don't know why, but it looks quite nice. Uh, this is uh, Kevin Magnussen's helmet, which has the Haas logo in a poker chip. It's got Sin City written on the side and the Las Vegas skyline. Again, a lot of people have done this. Charles Leclerc, um, okay. The background here is dice and a poker chip. I think he's got his name in the top up here. You know, looks looks fine. 
Alexander Albon's this is. He's gone for something a little bit different. Uh, embraced more of the Nevada side of it with the deserts and like all that kind of stuff. And he's got a lovely car here. I like a lot of Albon's helmets. And he often does go for more of these cartoony type designs. This one looks quite nice. Uh, Fernando Alonso's here. Now, Fernando has also gone for the kind of generic roulette table dice card stuff. But this, for me, gets more bonus points because it is blue and yellow and red, which is a more classic Fernando Alonso design. We've seen a lot of his green helmet this year, and to have this more classic Fernando, it gets bonus points for me here. <clears throat> here is Carlos Sainz's helmet. Uh, now, this again, you've got the... Um, oh, what do they call those machines? One-Arm Bandit, is that what they're called? That's their dice, of course, tick. Uh, but here he has his name in this funky little font. And that gets a thumbs up from me. So well done, Carlos, on that one. Next, though, we have the best of the weekend. This is Daniel Ricciardo's helmet, and it is incredible. It might be the best helmet we've seen all year. This is insanely good. Just the blue and silver Alpha Tauri with that flame design he's had all year. Part of me thinks that maybe this was supposed to be the helmet he wore in Singapore. That obviously he was injured, he couldn't drive uh, that weekend. But this is what he's brought to Las Vegas this weekend. And I like it a lot. This is a great one. Uh, Oscar Piastri, it's his turn to do some sponsorship dealings on his helmet. So he's got the Google Chrome look. Uh, best of luck with the sponsorship, McLaren. Uh, Max Verstappen has gone for this, which is a lot like a lot of other guys. You know, just his basic helmet with a roulette wheel, cards, dice, but also... The secondary colour of the entire helmet is that neon yellow to embrace the neon city type thing. So yeah, that's good. This is Lando Norris' one, and it is horrible. I hate it, and I think it's the worst helmet we've seen all year. Um, lots of snakes. I don't like snakes. Why would you want to be referred to as a snake? It looks bad. This is Valtteri Bottas' helmet. Valtteri Bottas, or as I like to call him, the King of Helmets. Because I think... Um, Every special helmet he has had has been spectacular this year. And this is another great one. For some reason, he's gone for a space theme. And I like it a lot because, you know, you can see the lines here, which are supposed to look like a proper space helmet. Little cartoon fella there. <coughs> great stuff from Valtteri Bottas. And I think that is everything. There you go. That's the end of Special Helmet Street. Some really good ones there, some really bad ones there as well, and some liveries. Lots of interesting stuff. Upgrade Corner now, and in Upgrade Corner we have nothing to say, because some people have brought some stuff, but it's just circuit-specific stuff. No big real upgrades, uh, which is expected at this time of the year. Penultimate race, you're not going to really be bringing anything groundbreaking uh, at this point. So, practice recap. My goodness. So, I woke up this morning about 7 o'clock. I, I woke up and I was like, right, let's see. What have I missed? Because I've missed an entire hour of practice. So I'm probably quite behind. I didn't want to wake up in the middle of the night because I had work to do. So let's see what I've missed. And what I've missed was 10 minutes of FP1 where they went out, set a few lap times. Carlos Sainz ran over a manhole cover. 
the downforce of the car ripped the manhole cover out of the ground and it destroyed his floor, engine and battery. Um, not great. Not a great start. Then they red flagged the session and it didn't restart. Um, then from there, they decided that the manhole covers were not fit for purpose. So they spent the next, what was it? Four, five hours changing every manhole cover on the circuit to make sure it didn't happen again. And, you know, fair play to him because it had to be done. Don't know why it wasn't done before FP1 because, you know, they thought this, you know, we all thought we knew this kind of thing was going to happen. To be fair to them, I've seen a lot of people saying, how stupid are you for letting this happen? But this isn't the first time. This has happened. Something like this has happened before in Baku and in Monaco. So two uh, street tracks there. One of which is the most famous and most used street track possibly of all time. So if it's a mistake Monaco can make, we'll kind of let off Las Vegas a little bit. It also happened in Malaysia. Malaysia, which isn't a street track. So, you know, it happens and it's a shame. But, you know, it happens. I leant too far back in my chair then and nearly had a heart attack. But I don't think anyone noticed. I think I was okay. <clears throat> so, yeah, shame that that happened. But don't worry, we would have FP2, an extended FP2, uh, an hour and a half long. But it would happen. It was 10 a.m. UK time. I believe in the US it was half past two in the morning, meaning that... Um, the FP2 would end at 4am. Due to this, some of the staff that had been hired uh, to kind of look after the circuit, not necessarily the marshals, but people working with the public, were told to go home. And because the staff weren't there, for safety reasons, they had to tell the fans to go home. Which is awful. Because apparently the fans turned up were ready for FP1, saw 10 minutes of it, it got cancelled, then sat in their seats in the freezing cold in the middle of the night for hours, and then just before FP2 was about to start, they were told they had to leave. Which, you know, I understand why they had to leave, because the staff weren't there and it's not safe, and, you know, uh, insurance and blah, blah, blah. But that is an awful experience for a fan waiting all those hours to see nothing. I saw an interview later, someone on Twitter, who had said that they flew over and they could just get tickets for the day. They couldn't afford to come the rest of the weekend. They bought tickets for FP1 and FP2, and that's all they saw. And then they were flying home. And it's like, that is devastating. And to be honest with you, I doubt they'll get a refund because worse things than this have happened. Thinking of Spa 2021 and no one got a refund there. So I doubt anyone will get a refund here. It sucks. And it's awful. And it could have been prevented realistically because, you know, surely someone would have thought, we should look at those manhole covers. You know, Apparently the track was cleared a few hours before FP1, and that's just not good enough. And letting the fans down like that absolutely sucks. And a track now, this Las Vegas track, it was being hated on before any of this happened. Because there's some people 
that for whatever reason, if there's a track in America, they instantly dislike it, no matter what. So American tracks have to try harder and have to be better than any other tracks. And to have this happen on your first day, it's just feeding into those people who are hating on it already. So it just sucks, and it wasn't great. And I feel so sorry for those fans. But when FB2 actually started, with no fans, let me tell you, I thought the track was actually rather good. Um, Looking at the guys going around, obviously there was very little grip at the start. But as the session went on, the grip came in a bit, we had some actually very interesting driving in a practice session. There was multiple moments in this practice which you could classify as high-speed racing. There was more actually like racing moments in FP2 in Las Vegas than we've had in some of the races all year, you know? There's been races such as Hungary, where not much happened. More happened in this practice session. And also, very, very close times across everyone. Let's look into this a bit more now. I'll just pull up uh, the, the uh, results here. Out of the gates, both Ferrari and Red Bull look like they're setting the pace. Ferrari would finish the uh, practice session on top. Leclerc first, uh, and then Sainz in second. But both Max and Checo looking good throughout. They would finish fourth for Checo, sixth for Max. But I don't think they were really pushing it. A lot of the stuff they did was on all the tyres. So I think they're keeping their cards close to the chest as we stand right now. Interestingly, Fernando Alonso would finish third. But what was quite interesting for Alonso was flying the first half of the session, he was kind of nowhere. He was kind of middle of the pack, not really doing much. But then towards the end, as that track got more grip in it, he was kind of unleashed a bit more and set some really good times. So at the point, he was at the top of the leaderboard uh, for FP1. And his onboards didn't look great either in terms of his driving. He was making little mistakes. So there's more time out there for Fernando Alonso as well. So I think Alonso is one to keep an eye on. But I'd say that Ferrari and Red Bull are the front runners thus far uh, this weekend. Interestingly as well for McLaren. Now, uh, Lando Norris had an issue at the start of the session. He had limp home mode, was activated on his car, so there wasn't much he could do there. But when he got into it, his times still weren't that incredible. Same for Oscar Piastri. Lando finished the session in 11th, Piastri 14th. Really not setting the world alight as we, uh, as we sit here now. As for Mercedes, they're coming off the back of a bad weekend out in Brazil. Lewis Hamilton was 9th, George Russell 12th, so still not great for them. There are some interesting people within the top 10. Bottas was 5th, Hulkenberg 7th, and then Albon in 10th. So some of these guys in the smaller teams may be looking to uh, do quite well this weekend. And, you know, as I said, very close times. So we had, um, in the end... Uh, Leclerc set this incredible lap time to go half a second faster than everyone else. But for the majority of the session, you had about a tenth separating the top five, top six. Um, Fernando Alonso in third is 0.011 off the back of Carlos Sainz. Um, you've got uh, Lance Stroll, he was in the top ten as well in eighth. I think we're going to see an actually quite competitive weekend throughout qualifying and the race. I still see Max running away with it. 
as he has done all year, apart from Singapore. But I think the rest of the positions are going to be very close. So, it is prediction time, and I'm very aware that this video has run very long, but we had a lot of news to cover, and a lot of special helmets slash liveries to cover as well. Here are my two predictions for this weekend. Firstly, a Ferrari will be on pole. Not sure which one. Carlos Sainz, by the way, has a 10-place grid penalty, because when the, the track destroyed his car, it also destroyed his battery, and he's used more batteries than he's supposed to this season, so he's got a 10-place grid penalty. You can argue about that one if you like, if it's fair or not. Um, it's not fair, but it's the rules, and that's really the end of the story there. <clears throat> My second prediction, and I am truly pushing the boat out with this one. This race will be one of the best of the year. That is my second prediction there. I've seen so much negativity aimed at this race. I've seen, from the moment it was announced to now, people want this race to be bad, which I don't understand. If you're an F1 fan, why do you want this to be bad? Don't be ridiculous. The most interesting thing is I've seen for the past year a lot of uh, F1 YouTubers talk about how bad this race is going to be, and now... Uh, they've got some lovely sponsorships which brought them out to Las Vegas and they're saying how great it's going to be. Isn't that interesting? Anyway, I think this will be one of the best races of the year. I think the track itself looks like it could be a lot of fun. From what I saw in FP2, it looks like it could be a lot of close racing. Some overtaking is possible here. I think strategy is going to play big into this as in terms of uh, tyre life and getting heat in the tyres under the brakes. You can't make a mistake here, otherwise you're in the wall. Safety cars are highly likely. This track is setting itself up to have a great race, and I think it will. And we'll be here to cover everything. So tomorrow, uh, we'll be back for qualifying recap. That'll be tomorrow morning if you're here in the UK. And then on Sunday, even earlier, we'll be here for the race. So a lot of fun to come from this weekend. So make sure you subscribe for all of that. Until then, though, have a good one. I'll see you next time. Goodbye.